Before we read this morning's text in Hebrews chapter 6, it might be worth spending a little bit of time recapping some of the main themes that we have seen so far throughout the book of Hebrews. So, within the first few chapters of Hebrews, they speak at length to the awesomeness of Jesus Christ, for lack of a better term. Jesus is superior than the angels, and he's superior to Moses. Now, this doesn't mean that either of those things are bad, merely that Jesus is more. Jesus is the fulfillment. And these comparisons pervade the entire book of Hebrews, that that what came before, although amazing in its own right, in its own time, and for its own set-aside purpose, it cannot hold a candle to Jesus. And while this is good news, amazing news actually, the author of Hebrews is not simply stating these things just to do so. The author is imploring his audience and us today to hold on to these truths, to not shy away or to turn away, to come back into the fold. These words are instructions, a heartfelt plea to make sure that Jesus is known so that the church may grow. As we continue on in Hebrews this morning, keep these things in mind as you hear these words and we study them together. Before we read, let's open with a word of prayer. Living God, help us to hear your word with open hearts so that we may truly understand and understanding that we may believe and believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Congregation, hear these words from Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 13 and continuing on until the end of the chapter. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by something greater than themselves, and thus the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear, to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Now before I say anything else about this passage, it needs to be said that this passage is an amazing word of good news. In my NIV Bible and my ESV Bible, this portion of Hebrews is titled the same. It's titled, The Certainty of God's Promise. And later in this passage, as you heard, there are some amazing words like Jesus being our anchor, secure and steadfast. And that's why I titled today's sermon as I did, A Secure Anchor, as we'll be diving into what this passage means for us. Now it's a word of good news and assurance. Now, if it's not clear to you all, I'm really excited to be preaching on this message today. A few weeks ago, Pastor Pastor Steve and I were in contact with one another, and I asked him what I should be preaching on. And he said, either this passage or choose something else, and we'll talk about it. Now, that might sound like it's really cool and like there's a lot of freedom in that, but it's actually kind of terrifying and daunting to me of like, hey, pick something from the Bible to preach on. I was like, let's read the passage first and see if that's like 
one that I want to preach on and God is speaking to me through. And as I read this passage about immediately, I'm like, this is good news and I want to preach on this this morning. And there's another reason that I really wanted to preach on this word of good news as well. Because earlier on in the summer, I actually preached in a different space. So this is my second time preaching this summer. And I have to say this morning I'm a lot more excited for because my first time preaching was to my classes and it was part of my examinations. So I preached about 20 to 30 individuals and they're taking notes and grading me the entire time, which is not the most fun. It's a little bit daunting. So I'm really grateful that hopefully most of you are not like taking notes on like my performance or my delivery or my pacing. And if you are, I invite you to not share those with me today. Once Stephen's back in the office, you can share those with him and we can have a conversation about that later. But at this exam, I chose to preach on a hard passage in Judges, which is a book of the Bible that I really enjoy studying. But it's sometimes a little bit hard to preach on. And after I was done, I had to stand up front and they gave me critique, both positive and negative. And a certain member of the classes gave me a, a poignant critique that's been sticking with me since that day, especially as I was crafting this sermon. And he said this, that in my sermon, I never made a pointed turn to the gospel message, to the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And that stuck with me. For, for I don't think that every sermon needs to end on a happy note. I don't think every sermon needs to not like point to Jesus specifically, but it should definitely be in our minds. The good news, the fulfillment of the promises, that's something I failed to do. And as I look at this passage in Hebrews, I, I see that this author is amazing at doing what I didn't. Everything he's doing is pointing to Jesus. He weaves together stories of the Old Testament and the newness of the church together, all the while praising Jesus' name at every turn. I need to take more cues from this author. And it makes me so excited that I get to preach on this passage and to stand on the shoulders of this author and preach the same message to you today. So two weeks ago, if you were here, Pastor Stephen spoke on the beginning verses of this chapter. And he focused on the better things that are laid out for us as God's people. We might not be going the completely wrong direction per se, but God is viewing us from above and knows that we are not going exactly the right direction that he has laid out for us. For some of us, better things might be a complete life change, and for others of us, it might be a simple course correction. And before any of us start placing ourselves into one of those two camps, know that all of us have room to grow and to live better in line with God's plan. Yet as we read this passage in Hebrews today, we might start to wonder, how do we know that there are better things laid out for us? Why should I trust this author? Why should I trust God for that matter? How do they know that I'm not already walking on the right path, that I'm not walking in better things already? And these questions as they come up are good questions, and it's why this passage is so important to us today and any day. For the truth of the matter is, is that we don't trust the author of Hebrews blindly. Now, faith necessitates some element of the unknown, but we are lucky to have the entirety of Scripture to see the numerous instances of God knowing what is best and seeking the best for his people. We don't trust in God blindly. We trust God because he has always come through in the past, and he will continue to do so. The author of Hebrews reminds the audience and us today of this fact by looking to the past 
While this passage deals specifically with Abraham, you'll see throughout the book of Hebrews a certain air of recounting the past. It's almost like Israel's greatest hits, as it were. But here, the author goes all the way back to Abraham, to the beginning of Israel's history, to to him, the father of the Israelite people, to the promise that God gives him to make his descendants a people, to give them a name and a place and value as God's own. Now, if you recall the story of Abraham, God waited a good long while to act on his promise to Abraham and Sarah to give them descendants. Long enough, in fact, that the two of them took matters into their own hands at one point, and they began to question God's word. Now, the fact that this happened makes me laugh a little bit at verse 15 of our text today, which states, after waiting so patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, technically, this is still a true statement, don't get me wrong, but I think it's worth noting that Abraham and Sarah weren't always so trusting in their story, that even though they messed up and they took matters into their own hands, that God still made sure that his promise was kept in time. Even through Abraham and Sarah's questioning and their doubting and their sinful behavior, God remained faithful to what he said he would do. Once they're good and old, Isaac comes along when they are elderly, when they had all but given up hope. And this reinforces God's goodness and plan and that it will come to fruition, even if it's not in our timing. But even this isn't the end of the story. Our passage in Hebrews goes on on to speak about oaths and says this, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. In Genesis 22, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the very child that was supposedly the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, Abraham had every reason to be scared, confused, and doubtful of what God's plan might be. Yet, unlike earlier in the story, Abraham here decides to put his full trust in God this time, going so far as to bring up the knife for the sacrificial blow before his hand was stopped by God. And seeing Abraham's faithfulness, God says to him, I swear by myself that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And this is what the author of Hebrews is speaking to. The two unchangeable things referenced in this passage are God's promise and God's oath to make it so. Now, God does not go back on his word. It even says in this passage that God cannot lie, which is something that we can hold on to. So for all intents and purposes, God doesn't really need to reinforce the promise. He's already made it. It's going to happen. But it happens anyway. And why is this? God swears by his own self there's no one and nothing greater than God's self in order to assure Abraham and us today that his promises will come to pass. That our faith is not blind, it's not merely a hope, but it's an anticipation of what we know is going to happen. Because God keeps his promises and he cannot lie. Now back when I was in high school, I attended an FCA group, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes group. 
And each week that we would meet, we would spend our time together. You know, we would dive into scripture, we'd do service opportunities, but we'd always begin with a game or an activity together. And I remember clearly one activity that we did. Now, each person was asked to partner up, and you'd be in the gym, and one of your partners would be blindfolded and put on the baseline of the basketball court. And the task was a really simple one. The blindfolded partner simply had to walk straight to the other end of the basketball court. Simple task, right? Well, maybe for some people, but once myself and some of my classmates and my peers started walking forward, you'd be kind of surprised how often you go off course when you don't know really where you're going, even though it's as simple as walking one foot in front of the other. So some of my classmates were good at this task, this activity, but others like myself were really, really bad and went off course almost immediately, and every step brought me closer and closer to a wall. Not the best. I actually encourage you, if you want to, you know, try this out yourself, make sure you have a partner with you, but it's actually kind of intriguing to see how far off course you can go in just a short amount of time. And I sometimes wonder if this is how many of us live our lives. We think we're heading on the right path, in the right direction, because how hard can it be to make the right decision? How hard can it be to walk down the right path that God has planned for us? Yet all the while, we are slowly moving off course and further and further off course to things that we shouldn't be going towards. Now, the nice thing about this activity when I was in FCA was the fact that we had a partner. Every once in a while, your partner might be a little bit mean and allow you to bump into a wall or an obstacle, usually with like a chuckle behind you as you're um, blindfolded. It's just you you hear them laughing as you're getting closer and closer to something, all the while knowing, well, I guess I'm going to hit a wall soon. But even then, they made sure that you weren't going too fast as to hurt yourself. It would just be a little bump. And then usually with some easy words of direction and assurance, they'd point you back in the right direction and have you go where you need to go. Now, in this illustration, I was, in fact, blindfolded, yet all the while I knew I had help and assurance right behind me. Someone whose eyes were open and knew exactly where I needed to go, often ready and willing to provide a word or two to get me back on track. You see this whole story in Hebrews 6, the recounting of Abraham's story, his faith, his failings, and his encounters with God, as well as God's promises, oaths, and fulfillment, is to point to our own story our own situation. The promises made throughout Scripture to all of God's people have found fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Like Abraham, who cast his anchor upon God's word, his promise, and his oath, we too have a place to cast our anchor. Our anchor is steadfast, secure, and safe. Our anchor is not just God's word, although we have this too to hold on to, but it's also Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who stands behind us and in front of us and beside us and tells us the right direction we need to go during times where our path is anything but the right one. Now there's this anchor imagery that we see in this passage, and sometimes we may make the mistake of assuming an anchor's only purpose is to be thrown into the water and to ground us, to keep us in place. And although this is one function of an anchor, it honestly has much more value than that. Tossing an anchor overboard can keep a boat from going into dangerous spaces and waters. An anchor can stop you so you can better survey the the land around you to see which direction you need to go. Additionally, an anchor, if you are like me and you like to watch some, like, 
really cool action movies, say like Pirates of the Caribbean or Master and Commander. It could be like a really cool throw the anchor in, do a really cool maneuver without even stopping, just pointing to a different direction and going on your way to the right place. Now, like any analogy, this one of an anchor can only go so far. In the real world, humans play a really big part in how effective an anchor is. If we decide to throw the anchor in at the wrong time, we might be too late in keeping us from dangerous obstacles or waters. If we throw the anchor in at the wrong place, it might not have any firm foundation to hook onto, and it becomes a useless weight that we are dragging behind us. Now, Jesus Christ as our anchor is a different story. Our anchor knows when to drop and where to drop to make sure that it is effective. And you might see where I'm going with this. The when and where that we see this anchor being set is most clearly seen on the cross first. Jesus' work on the cross saved us, saved all of us from our lives of sin and redirected us towards the Father. And it pointed us towards better things. Yet this isn't the only place where our anchor has decided to ground itself. For Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 say this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered in our behalf. Congregation, the inner sanctuary is a place that no one but the high priest can go. But Jesus can The cross might have been the first step, but Jesus' work here and now, advocating and mediating for us, is yet another space that Jesus goes to for our sake. Now we'll learn more about this role that Jesus has in future weeks, but just know that today it's important what Jesus is doing for us, and it's good news both today and forever. Friends, our faith is not a blind one. It's in a God who has shown up over countless stories, over countless years, for countless people, both here and in your own life and the lives of those around us, God has showed up. He has done it in the past. He's doing it right now, and he will continue to do so. There are better things waiting for us. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is working on our behalf in the here and now to place that path before us, to pick us up when we've fallen down, and to advocate on our behalf when we've messed up, because we mess up a lot. There's a reason that our trust is in God alone, and there's a reason we can trust the author of Hebrews. God's always been there, and he always will be. God showed up for Abraham and Sarah. He showed up well before that for Noah and his family in the flood, for Adam and Eve and their family, despite their failings. He walked with the people of Israel. He walked intimately in the form of Jesus Christ for the disciples. And he walks with us today. This same God is with us today and has assured us of better things. This is good news. And congregation, I hope that this morning's message, you can take that as such. And this doesn't mean that all our choices will be made easy or that we will be aware of every time that we take a step in the wrong direction. But by trusting God and those he has placed around us to help us along the way, I have no doubt that we can begin to walk towards all that God has prepared for us. May that bring us a sense of relief and joy as we try and walk in God's ways. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.